0: Once again, welcome. I'd like to begin with uh, with an image that comes from this uh, what are called uh, polydiscourses these the, these texts of early Buddhism, and there's something in the image that I think can help frame uh, maybe what we're exploring here and the purpose of it. And it has a more of a mythic quality to it. So once upon a time, there was a fellow by the name of Dona, and he was a Brahmin, and he was uh, walking along the road, and uh, uh, in front of him was uh, the Buddha. And uh, when he looked down on the ground on the road, he saw uh, the footprints of the Buddha, and, and they were really so spectacular. So in the heel of each footprint, there was a, a wheel with, it says, a thousand spokes, kind of with this rim and hub, just in the, in the, in the footprint. Which is trippy, huh? I mean, what, what a footprint. <laughs> and I think there's something so powerful about that image of, that's what moved him about the Buddha, is how, how he walked in the world and, and what he left behind, how he impacted the world. Right? How he was touching the world. And what I want to point out about this image is that here is this individual who is walking in the world in a radically different way. And in particular, in a radically different way that actually touched the world in a different way. And I feel like, in in some ways, that's what we're here to explore. You know, how is it? How can we find a different way to be in the world? A different way to touch the world? to hopefully uh, leave a different mark in the world than maybe some of our ancestors or those who have come before us where it really hasn't worked out so well in terms of suffering and, and oppression and things like that. Sorry, Thank you Thanks for being directing the practical things. <laughs> I'm not very good with the practical, so it's good to have that you know, voice as I'm talking. <laughs> Gunther, do you have someplace to sit? Okay. So here it is, this this image, this image of leaving a, a different mark being in the world in a different way. And to, to fit it into the, the kind of lifestyle that, that the Buddha lived. So the Buddha was part of this tradition called the Shramana tradition in Sanskrit or Samana. And it was these renunciates are these people that would take off from village life and go into the forest and to explore the spiritual life. And, and the, the etymology of this word is, is really quite interesting because it literally means um, someone who has let go of the, the conventional ways of social life in order to find a deeper way of living. And I feel like in our own ways that might be also what we're doing is finding a deeper way of living in this manner. And tonight, I'd like to share with you a particular teaching that the Buddha gave to his son that uh, might help with this, this vision of a different way of being in the world. And in this, this teaching he's giving to his, uh, he, he his, his, his son, he says, his son's name is Rahula, and he says, What do you think, Rahula? What is a mirror for? And of course, being a good son, he says, For reflection. And then the Buddha says, "Ah, in the same way, Rahula, bodily actions and verbal actions and mental actions are to be done with repeated reflection, just as we would use a mirror." Michelle, are you looking for a place to sit? Do you have a cushion? Okay, great. Great. <laughs> And this is what I'd like to uh, share with you is is how to repeatedly reflect on our actions. How do you repeatedly reflect on your actions so there can be a different way of being in the world? Or repeatedly reflect on what you're saying? Or repeatedly reflecting on what you're thinking about the world? And the Buddha encourages Rahula to do this in a very particular way, which is to reflect on it before. Let's say, let's just take the world of speech. That's tricky enough, right? Let's set aside the thinking and the doing for a little bit. Is to reflect on before I say something. Can I reflect in a particular bit way about it when I'm saying something, and then afterwards? And I want to go through these kind of these three components because it divides it up really quite well. And so the first thing I want to point out about this is. Uh, which is really quite important is that what we're exploring here is much much more than just meditation and I know it can be a little deceiving because we come here and that really is the focus we sit for half an hour and we do a um, a little bit of a guided meditation afterwards and often we're talking about meditation in terms of silent meditation and that's one of the reasons I want to share this with you is that this is a broader exploration than this than just meditation that we're situating it in other practices like reflecting and I want to point out that this is this is a different way that I'm, that I'm relating to my experience than what we're doing in the silent meditation they cross over but they're really quite different and I want to be clear about this difference for example when we're sitting in meditation all I'm doing is I'm just trying to be with the present as it is this moment as it is so I'm not really thinking about it I'm not reflecting in the way that I'm going to be talking about it for example I'm taking time to feel the breath or if a thought comes up I'm not I'm trying to step out of being engaged with it and to notice the flavor of the thinking. Oh, there's planning, remembering, judging. Or if there's an emotion, instead of kind of figuring out the story, I'm just trying to feel the emotion that's there. So it's really quite different than reflecting on my actions. So It's a really important practice and it overlaps with with, um, what I'm going to talk about. But this is what I'm going to talk about, is to actually think about what you're doing to think about how you're engaging in, in the world, but in a very particular way. Because what I have found uh, through this practice is that I, do, I don't really skillfully reflect on how I act in the world. You know, sometimes I just kind of blindly go through the world with the things I'm doing and saying, and it's usually sometimes just afterwards, right, that I realize, wow, that was a really stupid thing to say. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to take some time before or maybe during to catch myself in some kind of manner. And sometimes I'm not asking myself the the really the right questions to, to gain a kind of skill around this. So this is really essential. So let's go through this. So here, here I am. I'm, I'm about to say something to somebody. This is what the, the Buddha says to Rahula how to uh, reflect on it. He says, this verbal action I want to do, would it lead to self-affliction to the affliction of others or to both? Would it be an unskillful verbal action with painful consequences and painful results? So here we have that quality of the mirror. Let me take a look at this in the mirror. In what what way is really going to be going on with this? Is this harmful to myself and others if I say this? Is it going to be unskillful? Is it going to really cause pain and suffering for myself and others? And the first thing I want to point out about this, which I think is really striking, is it's not only about the other person, it's about me. Which I find really interesting. Like sometimes I have so much concern around the other that I might not be thinking about myself. But he's saying that you have to take that into account. What's it like to take that into account when I'm speaking or doing something? Is this also for my benefit? And this comes down to uh, intention, which I want to speak a little bit about, in clarifying what's the intention in my heart, what's driving it. This is what I like to consider before I say something, and I want to give a a example of this to kind of ground it in some manner. So last year I was doing an online course. It was this course examining uh, this very uh, nuanced teaching in, in Buddhism called not-self or, or this kind of selfless nature of experience. And we were looking at that and then also notions of self and identity that were really important. And the around the notions of identity we were uh, also exploring um, race and racial dynamics and the, the systemic uh, racial oppression. And there was a, a conflict with someone in the in the course that arose, an individual, and I felt that they had some, I still feel, <laughs> that their way of approaching or understanding systemic racism was highly problematic. <laughs> and and, uh, and it was coming out in the course and trying to figure out how to navigate it in some way. And I felt like I really needed to say something to, to help this person to get some crucial pieces of what we were, were teaching. And it was tricky, it was tricky content. And the interesting thing is, is that when I reflected on it, when I really checked in with my heart and mind, I, I really felt that something was off. That there, there was something unclear about my intention. And some of it, this happens in these kinds of conversations with me, is that I really feel like I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a hook to it in the sense of not only am I right, I really, really want to make sure that you know that what I know is the right thing and that I need to correct you. And I've noticed in the past that those conversations don't always go so well for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you can probably hear in my language, right, the, the tightness around that. There was a, I, was, I was attached to a view. Of course, we all have views, but how I was relating to it. And there was some hook that was around this person. So you can say my intention, when I uh, looked into it, really wasn't that skillful. And I could feel it in my body. So it wasn't even like um, that this kind of reflection was not only thinking about it, but it was the feeling that was there. There was something off. And this is important because it felt like the material that I wanted to share was really skillful and really important. But my heart wasn't in the right place. And this was really really quite essential for reflecting on what I was going to say. And what I ended up doing is I sent an email, which all I did was to basically acknowledge their point of view and to open up a space to really hear from them, to listen from them. And when I was able to shift to there, it switched my stance from uh, feeling like my job was to point out to actually noticing that really what I needed to do both from my heart and where was he was was actually skillfully listen. And what I want to point out about this is, uh, which is important, is that sometimes in these kinds of situations I feel like that it is is my duty to point things out. And if I get hooked by a way that I should be acting, I can actually make the situation a lot worse if I'm not taking into the context, the person I'm speaking with and where I'm at. And so I want to say it's so tricky and what I love about this reflection is it gives me a sense of what to do in this moment rather than following some kind of template of what I should say and what I should do because every situation is so unique and so so different so I think this is what can come from this uh, wise reflection is getting a sense of what this moment needs hey Laura could you uh, uh, just tap it up one degree and then maybe that will help just a 74 so here we have it this reflection before I was gonna say something before I was gonna write it also what I want to point out is that uh, in terms of my intention around speaking or even doing things uh, at least for me I'm not looking for my heart to be a hundred percent clear about what I'm gonna say or do because if that was the case, I might be waiting a long time. <laughs> and this has been a really important uh, exploration for me, to see that that I have to have most of my heart on board in a skillful direction, with a sense of more of kindness rather than harm. But uh, situations are difficult. So for me, I'm just trying to get over the 50% mark. If I get 51, that's great. <laughs> that's pretty good. I know, I know, I might have a lower bar than other people. but. <laughs> Seems, it seems to function in some manner. So I don't want to paint an ideal, kind of idealized version of how I have to, my, the position my heart has to be in order to, to act or, or to say something in this world. Because situations are complicated and I notice my heart is complex in what it feels and what it struggles with. So this using the mirror to reflect before I say something So the first part and then during what I'm saying something and I'm actually going to come back to this because really the during aspect is really just taking what I'm talking about in the before which is really about intention and the after I say something or after I do something and then the the Buddha gives this encouragement to Rahula around after he's dumping done something he says after having done a verbal action you should reflect on it this verbal action I have done did it lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or to both? What is, was it an unskillful verbal action with painful consequences, painful results? And if on both it was an unskillful verbal action with painful consequences, painful results, this will be tricky, we'll translate it to modern things, then you should confess it, reveal it, open it to a knowledgeable companion in the spiritual life, which I think is really striking. I want to come back to and then in the in the uh, future to exercise restraints in this kind of situation <clears throat> so in this world of reflecting on uh, something after I've done it, I think it switches a little bit it's not only about my intention it's about the impact about what I just did, and I think this is such a, a important exploration is what did I say even if I had the best of intentions how did it land for the other person or the or the group of people what was the impact there because I can have the best of intentions but I might be blind to things that I need to be aware of and there might be things I'm doing or saying that I I really have a a clear heart but it's really harmful to others and sometimes it's so deep it's just the way I am in the world and just coming to understand that can be very helpful. And I want to give one example of this. You could say it's a kind of bodily action. And I learned this when I was doing a lot more uh, trauma work with individuals. Which was the fact that I could walk into a room or I could walk a r- into a room with a, with a person or I'd be in a room and somebody would come into the room, right, doing trauma work. And just the fact that I appear to be a man could be, actually have this huge impact on the other person. Just that just that can fill another person's whole being with fear or anger. So in some ways it has nothing nothing to do with my intention, but it's important for me to acknowledge there's a kind of impact that I simply, that might happen around me. And once I come to understand that and become sensitive to that, it allows me to walk in the world in a different way, to touch the world in a different way and open to the world of another in a radically different way. And the more I could become sensitive to that, the more something really healing and transformative could happen in that room when that perspective was allowed. And that, 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 that we started there, that that's an okay perspective to have. That can be a really helpful perspective to have. To honor that. And hopefully you hear, I'm trying to give a dramatic example, how how uh, unproductive it is if somebody tells me that I've hurt them in some kind of way and I start talking about my intention, if you imagine it in that world, do you see it? Sound how crazy that is? Mm -hmm. And like how unhelpful it is to explain what my intention was? It just doesn't make sense because what I'm doing is I'm denying the, 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 the world of another person. So this is this is really quite important. It doesn't mean I have to believe that world or go along with that world, but it means I need to honor and to to be there to really hear that world. So essential. What's the impact that my actions are having or my words are having on others? And it's tough, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you feel like you've done something really wholesome or you're just reaching out and somebody tells you you, you've hurt them. The natural reaction can be, because it hurts so much for somebody to tell you that, that you want to explain, oh that wasn't my intention. I didn't really mean to do that. So I want to point out that this reflecting afterwards takes a kind of capacity for me to set aside my own world to hear the world of another, to hear the voice of another. This, this practice demands that of us and this is how it overlaps with this practice of meditation. It allows me in the silence to start to have the capacity to how the emotions arise in me and to be able to be with them so I can show up with someone else and not be lost in my own reactivity or lost in my own demand that they hear my world before I hear their world. This is utilizing this mirror, this mirror around being aware of the impact that my actions and words have on others. I think this is what the, the Buddha's referring to. And as I said during a conversation, it's really the combination of those two. While I'm speaking to somebody, I want to be aware of my intention. And while I'm speaking to somebody or doing something, I want to be aware of the impact really coming back down to these two qualities of being aware of the intention and also being aware of the impact in a skillful way So, one more step around this especially the the reflection that happens afterwards a place that this can be uh, another elements that can be very helpful and that's coming back to the second part of when the Buddha was talking about confessing it or letting a spiritual friend know about this is that often I can understand the impact that I might have on others when, when I have um, when I have friends that I can talk to about it like when I make mistakes it's so great to be able to talk to someone else about it to really get a sense of of what's happening in this world because there's a lot of things that I I just can't see and having that combination can be very helpful because because it's spiritual friends that really can hold up a really important mirror. as I'm going to point out a little bit later, in this realm, there is, what I realize is I have so many blind spots, and it's only with friends that I can start to reveal these. This just happened maybe a, a story last week. I was um, I'm doing this uh, course with some colleagues on. Um, race, on uh, looking at the the issue of race and racism in the context of the Dharma or this path and we were filming, two weeks ago, we were filming a a segment and um, it was on intersectionality and I remember we filmed, we discussed it and we filmed both our parts and then we talked about it and to have time to reflect afterwards but also to have my colleague, who's situated differently than me. Actually, she's coming. This is, oh, actually, it was a 7 a, so she's coming. She's situated. You know, she's an African-American woman. And I told this story, the story from early Buddhism, that I thought was so moving. It was a great story, so inspiring. And she's like, Brent, that is, like, the worst story you want to tell in this, like, context. Like, this is going to go over so poorly. And it was just because I didn't see it. You know, as the white guy kind of talking about intersectionality, you know, you can understand that I wasn't really seeing the impact that this this story might have had on others that were situated differently than me. And I needed that reflection, that afterwards reflection, of that pointing out, which was really wonderful as far as that goes. And it's, it's wonderful to have others point things out, which is really so helpful. Or, um, oh, Susan, you, you did that from the retreat too. Su- Susan and I got together. And it was the other thing of like, I was uh, speaking in a kind of manner. And, and Susan's like, you know, you really forgot some things. And it was so helpful. It was, it was at a, a, again, a Dharma talk where I gave kind of these, these archetypal images and they were all men. Okay. And it was like, oh, there, there it is again. To see the impact of that, of course, it was the wholesome intention, but then there was this blindness there. And so I just want to talk about, that's why we get together as community to start to understand all of these dimensions about how we are in the world. It's a beautiful thing to be able to have that relationship with others, to be able to have those kinds of conversations because it allows us to touch the world in a different way, to walk in the world in a different way. And then there's another whole dimension to this especially in terms of the, this reflection about afterwards, in terms of not only my intention, which we want to clarify coming from a place of compassion, of kindness but also how is it impacting and also this whole realm of blindness. There was a, a monastic of the Buddhas um, that was fully enlightened uh, his name was uh, Chakupala and. It's an interesting story because when he was older he became blind. And his fellow monks were concerned because he, since he was blind he was walking around when he would do walking meditation he would be stepping on ants. And again there's this this encouragement to not harm other living beings. And so his fellow monastics were really concerned about this. And so they went to the Buddha and asked him about this and and the Buddha said, "Well, he, he's not putting forth the intention." And I think There's something really important about that of like, oh, when I'm doing these things, I'm still in integrity in some way, it's just that I can't see these. And so for Chakopala, that's just the way it was being blind, is he had no other choice. He was getting around the world as best he could, and he couldn't see, and that these things just kind of happen. And often, this is the way uh, we talk about or explore our, our actions, especially in Buddhism. uh, But I want to expand it and and in some ways complicate it because I think there's a a particular flavor, what I notice, to many of my blindnesses. That many of my blindnesses are actually curable. And this is a really important distinction. That that my blindnesses, there's some easy cures to them as long as I'm engaged in them. I'm, I'm, I'm not as blind as I think to be. It's really quite fluid. They're just blindnesses that I've inherited from society. And they're curable. And I noticed, if I have a curable blindness, then I have a moral obligation, I would say, to do my best to cure those, those blind spots. So it's very different than a blind person stepping on ants. And what comes to mind is, um, uh, last, Sat- this, last Saturday night, I think so. Yeah, I remember there were there. We we uh, had our uh, Dharma and Diversity movie night. It was quite a success. We had a, a few glitches, but it worked out in the end. And we uh, saw the film. Maybe many of you seen it. Uh, I am not your Negro. It was uh, based on James Baldwin's. I think it was his last memoir. Remember this house? Um, it was an incomplete manuscript. It's a really powerful movie, and it it was a uh, I think one of the most striking, some of the most striking images to point out blind spots and how I've inherited them. And it was just around one dimension around skin color, but it was, there was this imagery in the film where there were these images of um, the violence around um, racial, racial issues, whether it be from the 1950s or the 1960s or more re- recent in Ferguson and so you'd have these images pop up that were so emotionally tearing and then they would be juxtaposed with other images from the same time sometimes from the like forties or fifties of Joan Crawford you know in this all-white scene in this this movie dancing as if as if you could really feel that that backdrop of whiteness was what was inherent in it was just a blindness to the violence of racial oppression. And it was so striking to see, oh, that's what's inherited so often around racial dynamics is that I I, I inherit a blindness. My eyes don't work. And yet it's curable. And the one way I cure it is often I need to be aware of how I'm impacting the world. And the way I've learned how I've impacted the world is I make a lot of mistakes. And I just have a lot of good friends. And that that's part of what we're doing here. And again, I think this is what allows us to walk in the world in a different way. To be, as the Buddha was, a a shramana, Someone who's not following the conventional ways, such as systemic racism. And actually being in the world in a different way. So again, this reflection, before? What's my intention before I say something or do something? During? What's my intention? What's the impact while I'm doing this? And after? Can I take some time to reflect by myself and with others? How is this this landing in the world? Is the mark I'm leaving, is it skillful or is it unskillful? And this takes also an, an understanding of my own experience. And so I think this is how the silent meditation works, which we'll go into right now, is, is can I just notice what this mind and body are doing moment after moment. If it's feeling the breath or noticing the thoughts that are coming, their emotions, or how messy and chaotic the mind is. So let's give it a try. So let's uh, just take a, a break. You might want to stand up and move around, and then we'll begin to um, move into the sitting meditation.